With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. We're on episode 52 here, and if it's not actually 52 and I just made that up, then you'll see the correct number reflected in the actual title of the podcast. But that's not as important because uh, we have news to share. It's been... The beginning of the week was a little slow in terms of Devil's News, but we got some developments, I'll say, in the last couple of days. And here to help me break those down is, of course, John Fisher. And how are you doing this morning, John? I am doing okay, and I'm not so sure about the New Jersey Devils organization at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of there's been plenty of things to worry about on the ice, as we've talked about at length. You know, we've we talked about how miserable 2019-20 was from a on the ice perspective, and also off the ice, where the Devils lost their general manager, their head coach. Well, not lost; they they more so fired them because it wasn't yeah. working. Um, but they you know, had to let go of their general manager, their coach, and still haven't replaced them despite allowing one to make moves before he got fired and one to make moves without knowing that he has the job. And the reason that there's so much confusion seems to have like a little bit of light been shown on it these last couple of weeks by the interview process in general, since, you know, there's not a lot going on on the ice. There's plenty of time to speculate around the league in terms of coaching vacancies, GM vacancies. But we got an article this week from Larry Brooks, and we had mentioned Larry Brooks a couple of weeks back as someone who, you know, rubbed the players the wrong way sometimes. But when it comes to the news on executive happenings around the New York area teams, he's usually on the ball and has pretty good mm-hmm. information. So what can you tell us about what Larry Brooks uh, says about this devil's hiring process. It's never good when the um, longstanding sports columnist starts with, we're hearing tales of confusion because <laughs> <laughs> confusion is a great way to describe this current process between the coach and the GM search ongoing. Cause as we know, as of right now, as we're recording this, Tom Fitzgerald is the interim general manager and Elaine Nazardine is the interim head coach. And we've had more news about, the latter as opposed to the former as far as who's going to get hired. Mm -hmm. Brooks has revealed that apparently different members of the executive branch are interviewing completely different people. And that is why some of the names being thrown out there are widely varying between whether or not you're keeping Tom Fitzgerald, whether or not you're going to go with somebody who's been in the job before like Mike Gillis, or whether or not you're going to go a little bit off the board and go with Eddie Olchek, who is another name that was revealed uh, towards the end of this past week. On top of that, it's this is and Brooks is now speculating at this point, but because top level management is not exactly on the same page with who respect to with respect to who they're hiring for a GM, it, it's partially why we may see a head coach get hired before a general manager gets hired, which is completely backwards. Um, yeah, I mean appara- the way the way Bro- the Brooks Brooks highlights the fact that you have Harrison Blitzer, they're the owners, right? Mm-hmm. They they're the top dogs, you know. They're the, they're the they're the money people. They have the power. But apparently CEO Scott O'Neill is doing something, and then they have a team president 
who is more like the business side of presidency, not the hockey op side of presidency, and Jake Reynolds. Mm -hmm. So right there, you've got three different parties. And who knows what Martin Brodeur is doing? Who knows what Fitzgerald himself is doing? We know he's interviewing coaches, but who knows who he's talking to about the job? There's a lot of directions being pulled, and it's not a good sign, Dan. It's not a good look. And it doesn't instill me with a lot of confidence. Well, Brodeur specifically, you know, he can get involved in some of the conversations, but he's the director of business development, which I, I think he mentioned that he purposely wanted to take a non-hockey facing role specifically. Right. Um, just so, you know, this kind of confusion wouldn't come up. And I think that while Brooks suggests that he may be involved in the process, I think his involvement is minimal, if anything. But it does not make sense at all to hire your coach before your GM. How is your yeah. coach going to execute the vision of your GM if they don't know who it's going to be? How are they going to find players that fit what the GM wants and a coach that fits the style that the general manager wants to play if they don't have one? So I don't really get what the logic is behind interviewing all these head coaches, if only to whittle down obvious choices against it and then wait for the GM to be announced before they pick from a pool of final four, which still, you know, makes more sense, but doesn't make much sense because that GM didn't get to bring in his own candidates. And on top of that, it, it, it implies that there's a lot of confusion up at the higher levels. I mean, for the most part, you know, we're, we're blessed in a way, Dan, that we're not an Ottawa Senators fan and have to deal with the likes of Eugene Melnick and his um, defrauding of charities, as I best understand what's happening up there in this past well, week. Well, there's a couple but, of developments the, from the Sun, actually. Check those out when you get a chance. Okay, so I, st- I may stand corrected about that. But regardless, the point is, is that Ottawa Senators fans have every reason to be unhappy with ownership for a lot of different reasons, both on and off the ice. But for Devils fans... Say what you want about Harrison Blitzer, but they've put money into the Prudential Center. They've put money into upgrading things, whether it's a big scoreboard, whether it's a new locker room, whether it's a new PA system, which is something they announced this week. Well, you know, they're hiring practice right in arena. You know, that's not something exactly. that a lot of teams have. Exactly. And they're yeah, exactly. And even though they're not going to be playing, they're icing it up right now. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is that. Again, as I said at the beginning, Harris and Blitzer are the people at the top of the mountain here. They're the owners. They should be the ones making this final call. So the fact that Brooks is reporting that other members of executives are doing their own interviews, and I don't know if this is something Harris and Blitzer are doing uh, are allowing, like they're giving, they're saying, "Yep, yeah, go invite, interview people, and whoever comes with the best one will pick." But that that just seems completely asinine to me, and it's completely inefficient because at the end of the day, the GM has to be, have a relationship with your owner so they're on the same page. And to your point, Dan, the coach has to have a relationship with the GM so the coach can do what the GM wants. It seems – it's like I said earlier, this whole process seems completely backwards, and I understand the Devils have time on their side, but – they could have if, if we end up with Fitzgerald as the general manager, you could have saved yourself months of aggravation and all this interview made the call back in April. And then you would have just focused on a head coach and be done with it. Who could have already just, started like, implementing his game plan with the off time. Exactly. And there is some work you can do, because as I mentioned, you know, the, and you mentioned the Prudential Center practice rink, uh, the Barnabas. I'm sorry, the RWJ Barnabas Health Hockey House, that's a mouthful, uh, is resurfacing their rink right now. They're setting it up, and we already heard that Corey Schneider and Travis Ajak has already said they want to go on the ice and practice. They have no games to play for, but I understand it from their perspective. Get on the ice. You haven't been on the ice in months. Go out and work out if you can. Mm -hmm. And for a hockey player, you got to play on ice. You just got to play on ice. You can't 
do off-ice workouts for nine months straight. Well, they're two veterans going into contract years also, so, you know, they, they kind of get a weird situation going on. Where Oh, no, Zajac has two more, doesn't he? Well, the point is, is that they're still veterans, and they're still they, – they are thinking for their future and their own um, – their own bodies for that matter. Yeah, you know, they yeah. have to stay in shape. Yeah, you have to keep sharpening the knife even if you're not playing official games. And I don't know, you know, going back to the to the interview point, yeah, that's something, you know, the ownership spent money on, so on and so forth, but it seems that they didn't have too many answers for when things were going wrong. The only answer was done through firing Ray Shiro, and then everything just kind of stepped away after that. We didn't hear much more. But the only thing I can think of that, would make sense for having different executives interview different candidates as if the process hasn't been completely formalized yet. But because people are reporting on it, I'm assuming it has like, like these could yeah. be maybe some unofficial interviews, but I don't think that's the case anymore. No, no, exactly not. I mean, when you, on Friday, we got the report that Eddie Olchek apparently has been talking to the devils. And of course, Eddie O being a broadcaster gave a perfect broadcaster like answer of, I talked to lots of people, uh-huh. which, which yeah, you, you do Eddie. Sometimes <laughs> it's about horses. Um, but more seriously though, it goes back to this, the point I just made earlier is that if you're going to end up with Fitzgerald at the end of all this, then everything you're doing has just been a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, you have time to burn right now, but in a way you kind of don't because you have the NHL lottery coming up on the 26th. If you're going to have Zajac and Schneider working out, presumably other devils are going to start working out. And it would be really helpful if you had a coach or somebody to tell them, hey, this is what you should be working on. This is what the type of style of play we're going to be doing. This is what I want you to practice. I don't just want you to be skating laps and getting loose on the ice. You know, especially as we get closer and closer into the fall, you're definitely going to want to have some plan in place to take care of what's going to happen when, this this playoffs end when free agency starts coming up. You don't want to have to start panic hiring a GM or a coach two weeks before whenever free agency is going to start this year. Yeah, and if they were to you know hire a coach significantly before free agency, it seems like the pool has been narrowed to you know it's probably more than just these four candidates, but we're seeing a lot of these same names pop up, and I, you know we should probably just go through because. While it's not great that different executives are interviewing the different candidates, I think the candidates themselves are not so bad. And I think it's worth taking a look at each of them to see, you know, how they might be a fit and how they might. Let's operate under the assumption that Fitzgerald remains GM and this is the vision for the team that he has. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so the names that I've been hearing personally or that I've been seeing have been uh, one that we're very familiar with in terms of coaching this team, Elaine Nasruddin, staying on. We've had Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, and John Stevens. So who do you want to start with? Well, I think the simplest and the shortest answer for Elaine Nasruddin is a big fat no. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's not forget that no matter what the record looks like, the run of play was not good for the no. Devils. And granted, that it is that does factor in when you consider they traded away a lot of their better players, but... No, <laughs> Mackenzie Blackwood was the reason that Nazardine had any sort of respectable record as coach of the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, basically, if you like John Hines' style of play, then you liked Elaine Nazardine. Right. I'm going to be honest with you. John Hines' style of play got him fired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you don't like playoff hockey, then sure. Why not? Give him okay. a couple of years with the kids. But I don't think that's the desirable option for... I know he's popular in the room. I know he's popular in the organization. But I, I just don't see it statistically making sense. 
Um, and, yeah. you know, the context of it is so much more reliant on Blackwood than Nazardine changing anything significant. And we even saw the difference between Binghamton and New Jersey's playing style as Binghamton rattled off a run and New Jersey pretty much stayed the same but got better goaltending. Right, which I, which not so coincidentally happened when Tom Fitzgerald talked to uh, Dennehy and said, hey, you don't have to play like us. Play your way. <laughs> exactly. So, so pretty astute there by Mr. Fitzgerald. But Nazardine, I would say, is a fan base collective no. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the fan base collective, please, uh, which is Gerard Gallant. Mm-hmm. So Gallant is a very popular name. Uh, obviously, he was the bench boss of the Vegas Golden Knights, who had that uh, amazing two two and a half year run in their two and a half years of existence. Um, no, he's been very successful with the Golden Knights. And from a statistical standpoint, as much as, you know, some Golden Knights fans will complain, oh, he didn't handle Cody Glass correctly. Like, Glass is like not even, what, 21? Uh, he's, he, exactly. Like, he'll, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. No, the team has been playing legitimately great hockey on the ice. Yes, it helps to have Mark Stone, but he's getting a lot of great value and a lot of uh, play pushing forward, which is exactly what the Devils need. So he was great for the set, Panthers too. It's not just the he, Vegas Golden Knights. Like the reason he got that Vegas job was because he took a Panthers team that wasn't supposed to be remotely near competitive, and he squeezed everything out of them. This is true. And then there was stuff that happened behind the scenes that left him on literally looking for a cab on the curb in the rain. at two a.m. <laughs> at two a.m. out of Carolina. Feels bad. Yeah. So in any case, so Gallant is the hot popular choice, and there's reason for that. He's had success, and you want a fresh face, you want a different voice, you want a different uh, look, so to speak. Here he is. If he's willing to come to New Jersey, if he's willing to come to Newark, go forth and hire him. It's a ve- It would be a very welcome pick, and it would definitely demonstrate something that I think ownership needs to be cognizant of, that you know, after almost five seasons of John Hines and Ray Shero. You're saying we're going in a different direction? Well, here's a different direction, guys. His yeah. name is Gerard Gallant. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he's, he's my complain. No, he's my preferred choice for the for the reasons I just mentioned. He's got a great statistical profile. He seems to have an understanding of what he needs to do. And he's able to handle a lot of different situations since not only with the Florida situation, but also an expansion team it has its own um challenges that, you know, as devils the devils and you know, 30 other teams just would not have in terms of, hey, do you know if your farm team can actually call up somebody? Uh, can do you know, can you trust the guy that just got drafted because he's going to have to play in a year or two? Um, that sort of thing. He'll be coming into an organization that has a lot of uh, historical uh, background, so he doesn't have to worry about stuff like that. So that's another benefit in that in that vein. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this Jack Adams winner, he had a 583 uh, points percentage in Florida and a 601 in Vegas. And the Devils have not seen percentages like that in a while. So again, like this is someone with a proven track record of success and recent success. That's what's key. I think that's what's a lot of the difference between him as the choice and our next name that we'll talk about, which is Peter Laviolette. Right. So this is the name that Darren Drager dropped on his recent insider trading uh, segment saying that he's now the favorite. Mm -hmm. Now, I will understand the concerns of Laviolette. You know, he hasn't had that championship ring. He doesn't have that. uh... No, he has it. Oh, I'm. Oh, that's right. He does. That's right. I completely forgot. He was the he was the guy behind the bench in Carolina for that year. I completely forgot about that. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, Laviolette, you know, longtime coach of the Flyers. He's done work for Nashville for a while. He was the guy who got fired 
and then Nashville brought in John Hines. So I can understand is like, wait, we're taking Nashville's leftovers here uh-huh. to replace John Hines. But Laviolette does have a long track record of knowing what he's doing. If you can't get Gallant, in my opinion, I think he's your next best choice just because he does get the get his teams to be more offensive, get them actually attacking and be supportive. Maybe he doesn't take you to the promised land per se, but given where the Devils are right now, you need to get to becoming a playoff team regularly first before you could start thinking about stuff like that. So can Laviolette do that? I think he can. So I don't think it's the worst option. I just think it's, you know, it's it's not I would prefer Gallant, but if it's Laviolette, I'm okay with it. Every team that he's coached except the Islanders went to the Stanley Cup finals at least one time in his tenure with the team. That's oh, very go. impressive. It is. That's Carolina. He took Philly to the finals against the Blackhawks, and he took Nashville to the finals against Pittsburgh. So that's not something that like I can argue with really at all. It looks like playoff seasons are very prominent among his record as well. And with him specifically, you know, Nashville, I, I don't think they fired him because the results were poor. I think they had some disappointing playoff rounds, but I mean, at this point, the Devils can't even complain about making the playoffs. But that being said, they were pretty much on the bubble when he got fired instead of being dead last. So I think it was less results-oriented and more his message started getting lost, uh, which is what seems to happen and what a lot of people are concerned with. And again, if that message is lost in five years, then at the very least, we get some playoff seasons out of it, hopefully. And he's someone that proves that he can do it pretty much anywhere with anyone. That being said, also, he fits Fitzgerald's philosophy of bringing in older veterans to help the younger players out. I think if this was a strictly young team, then La Violette might be a little bit, you know, harsh (laughs) for someone based on all accounts. But because Fitzgerald wants to bring in these veterans alongside the youngsters to help them grow, he's mentioned it many times, I think that's where they could really benefit from La Violette specifically. Exactly. And in a sense, I understand the concern about harshness and, you know, coaches getting their messages lost. But this happens to virtually every coach at some point. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're a coach at any sport, at any professional level, you're just going to hit a point where you hit a wall, so to speak. And you're what you know, you were the guy or the girl three years ago. But three years later, it's just not working. And it's not necessarily you. It could just be like the situation's changed. The the expectations are different. The roster's different. Management may be different. And you may be different as well. So, you know, it just happens. I think, you know, to an extent, I think if given that the Devils will be a younger team or they are a younger team, so to speak, many of their key players are very young. Um, they may need a little harshness, a little fire, so to speak, to uh, get them to that proverbial next level. And coaches don't last long anyway. If the message is lost after five years, that seems pretty normal because the longest tenured coach in the NHL right now, I'm pretty sure, is Paul Maurice. And he was hired yeah. in 2013. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not uncommon to have coaches be changing all the time. Even with the New Jersey Devils in our long, illustrious history, we've seen, you know, Herb Brooks last this season. We you know, Jacques Lemaire didn't make it to um, – 2000. Larry Robinson um, stepped down because he had, you know, health issues and anxiety, but, you know, he found success. Robbie Fatorik didn't even finish his season, and that team was really good. Claude Julian, well, there was a player's mutiny. Like, I can go on and on and on, where most of these coaches I just mentioned only lasted for a year or two, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the team was still finding success, and in, in, in 
one of those cases, as I just mentioned, the 2000 team, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, they still went out and won a Stanley Cup because they got it going. And Robinson was the perfect guy to follow up for Torque in that position. So I wouldn't be hung up about worrying about whether or not Laviolette or Gallant or even Nazardine or the fourth guy that we're going to be talking about last five years or not, because if, if it doesn't, then that's normal. Exactly. Yeah. That's something that the Devils won three Stanley Cups in, you know, a span of eight years with three different coaches using the same core of players, essentially like the same big nucleus of players. That is something that speaks to how important coaching is. And it's, it's the differences between what's around the core that had those teams win the championships. And it took those individual coaches to coax that out. So you have to figure out what your core is and what coach helps build around that. And the next coach that you know came up in the rumors and the last real named coach I'd say that has any sort of NHL prominence because it sounds like Gronberg isn't coming over at all. Uh, no, John his confidence. Con- yeah, yeah. John Stevens, who is probably the least sexy name of the four. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, maybe Elaine Nazardine is, but you know he's with the organization already. You kind of know what you're getting out of him. John Stevens is one of those guys that. I don't regard him as being particularly successful with Philadelphia, and I'm tr- I'm drawing a blank as far as what his accomplishments actually are. Like Stevens strikes me as the sort of guy that, yeah, he's coached in the NHL before, but I'm not sure exactly what you're going to get out of him mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily get out of someone else. Now, of course, I stand to be proven wrong. I mean, there have been plenty of coaches that were terrible in one organization. They jumped to another organization and they look like geniuses. You know, I mean, it's a results oriented business that, right. that just happens. But Stevens, I'm again, I'm just scratching my head as far as why is Stevens under consideration beyond the fact of he's done the job before. Yeah, for his record, he his biggest accomplishment, not NHL, is winning the Calder Cup in 0405 as a coach. But that was, first of all, was a long the- time ago. And, and in a league below the NHL. Right. And then before the Kings made the playoffs in 2017-18 while losing in the first or getting swept in the first round, he hadn't made the playoffs since 08-09 as part of um, the Philadelphia staff. And then his best win percentage in his career was Philly 07-08 uh, with a 529 win percentage. They lost in the conference finals, but that doesn't really come close to the records of the other guys. So I'm wondering how he factors into this in general. Yeah. I mean, he spent this past season as an assistant with Dallas. So, I mean, he's definitely, his name is out there, but again, I'm just, I I agree with you, Dan. Like, I'm not sure what success you're going to point to, to say, yeah, this is a guy that we need to set a new direction and set a new style play. It's not like a Guy Boucher situation where Stevens has this, you know, noted known style of play where, you know, if you're going to get this guy, yeah, it's going to be very different. But, hey, you want a different, here's different. You know, mm-hmm. Stevens is a guy. So, I mean, if the choice comes down to Stevens and Nazardine, I'll take my chances with Stevens because I'm not really a fan of Nazardine as a head coach. But if, if the decision is really between Gallant, Laviolette, and Stevens and Nazardine, it's, you know, it's it's a two-horse race, so to speak, between Gallant and Laviolette. Gallant is my preferred choice. Laviolette's my preferred two. And you know, if my other two choices are Stevens and Nazarene, I almost want to say, can we f- please find another candidate that will, is willing to come here and has a contract that will allow him to come here, which is the problem with Gronberg is that mm-hmm. ZSC Lions is appropriately saying, no, he has a contract with us for another year. We're, we're not letting him go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I know people were 
mentioning that, and sometimes life works that way. But the Devils need a coach regardless. They can't just sit around, hire nothing, and waiting for Gromborg's contract to, uh, you know, expire. But they need. There is. Oh, go ahead. There is one. There is one X factor. I apologize for jumping in. It yeah, just occurred ahead. to me. Maybe the del the Devils are going to be waiting until the playoffs end to find a head coach. Maybe. Because, you know, we've talked about a little bit about this on the last show. Is it's going to be a short playoff, but I can foresee some teams, if they say get, let's say Pittsburgh gets upset in the first round by Montreal, do you think ownership's going to say, hey, coach, you did a pretty fine job. We'll just get them next time. I think some of these coaches that, you know, maybe if they were on the bubble or on the hot seat or if the team performs really, really poorly, you might have some more candidates come out there sooner rather than later. Well, so and maybe the, maybe the Devils are going to plan on that. Yeah. Okay. So which that's I think is a bad idea, but they could. Yeah. Follow up for you is following this um, specific format and caveat. Who is a name that you think could fit this description? Okay, Dan, that's a very good question. Uh, I think a team that may be looking for success sooner rather than later, and you know they were on the bubble of the playoffs, and you know if we finish out the season, maybe they would get in. But if they didn't get in, I would say a guy like Paul Maurice mm -hmm. with Winnipeg would definitely be a guy that I could see being on the block here. Um, he's been a head coach in, in Winnipeg since since 2014, yep, or rather 14. the 13-14 season. Mm -hmm. And he's seen the team you know, rise up. They made the playoffs uh, three out of you know six seasons prior to this one, uh, one season of 52 wins where they went all the way to the conference finals. That was their best season yet in, in the Winnipeg portion of the Atlanta Thrashers franchise history. On the Winnipeg portion of the Arizona Coyotes history. Well, that too, but um, <laughs> they don't share histories because you know, forget it. I'm, that's going to get confusing. Getting back to Paul Maurice, they did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, they did pretty well, and just as importantly, Paul Maurice has a lot of experience. He's coached over, you know, just over 1,600 NHL games. So if you want somebody with a lot of experience, a guy with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different situations, you know, he's been with. You know, he was the last head coach of Hartford. He was a coach in Toronto. He was a coach in Carolina for two separate and extensive stints. And of course, Winnipeg, you know, this is if you're looking for a different voice, but a voice that you are familiar with and other teams would be familiar with. Paul Maurice, if he's on the chopping block, if Winnipeg, you know, gets blasted out of this qualifying round by Calgary, that may be a name you may want to wait for. I don't I wouldn't do that, but I could kind of see it if you want to think in that direction. And another name I just, you know, kind of am wildly speculating about, but if Tampa Bay loses in the first round this year, is John Cooper safe? Ooh, that would be, I, la I have a lot of respect, I have a lot of respect and a lot of time for John Cooper, Dan. Mm -hmm. A lot of it. And don't forget the beginning of this, se of this season, there were a lot of, you know, buzz about whether or not John Cooper was on the hot seat because Tampa Bay struggled very well to start the season. Now they rebounded and their talent showed to be legitimate so they're really good but you have a very good point if tampa bay you know again gets blasted out of the playoffs way earlier than ownership expects i could see them saying john cooper you're not the guy and if john cooper becomes available by all means call this man you know take him out to dinner take him out to brunch knock lunch, on his door dinner. send him letters <laughs> Send him a send him one of those edible arrangements, uh, flowers. You know, you know, if you have to buy him a big gold boat, that would be useless because gold boats would sink on the minute you put them on the water. But if he wants a gold boat, I'm not saying buy it, but consider it. Tell him, tell him you're thinking about the gold boat. I love, uh, you know, I love this this concept that he might get an edible arrangement mailed to him that has a card that says. <laughs> 
thinking of you, John, from Josh and David. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> or from really from Josh, David, Scott, Jake, and the crew. <laughs> well, we don't know. Now, according to Brooks' article, he may get four different gifts from four different people now. <laughs> That's not the worst thing in recruiting someone. Well, it depends on what the gift is. If That's it's true. a bad gift, then all of a sudden everything gets poisoned. That's true. If it's too much fruit, then some of it will go bad. Exactly. Or you find out that, oh, you know, I'm allergic to kiwis and you gave me a bowl full of kiwis. Good Fun job. Fun fact, I am allergic to kiwis. <laughs> well, there you go. You wouldn't. You see, if I wanted to woo you, Dan, you know, I wouldn't give you a bowl of something that could kill you. That's right. That's right. And hopefully they do their research before they send that to John Cooper. And it may not matter anyway, because Tampa Bay might just win the whole thing like they could most years that he's been behind the bench, which is why he'd be someone I'd be very eager to eager to see if they could pry away uh, from the Tampa Bay situation or just have it resolve itself. But yeah, basically those are the four names, you know, we went through them, Nazardine, Gallant, LaViolette, and Stevens that have been most on the rumor mill. And again, there's really no timeline on when the Devils have to accomplish this. It would be better sooner rather than later so they could start the process of getting this person integrated with the team, getting this, uh, getting the game plans all laid out and start sharing you know, strategy, start working on their interactions and relationship with whoever this coach is. It's not necessarily urgent before the playoffs start, but a lot of things could change between now and then. And just because these four names are the ones that are most in circulation right now, it does not mean at all that one of them will certainly be the coach of the Devils moving forward. Exactly. And speaking of timing, Dan, we did get some clarity in the league. Now, this is not necessarily Devils related because they're not going to be playing any of these games. But the NHL did communicate to their teams that they're going to have um, – an opening date for formal training camps or phase three of their four phase return to play plan. Uh, that's going to start on July 10th, which is a Friday. So you're starting to see more and more teams. Uh, they're allowed to have workouts uh, limited to six people and only six people on the ice at a time. That's phase two. And of course it's dependent on whether or not your state is going to allow this sort of thing. Um, but July 10th is going to be when you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more news coming about about teams and, and performances and how fit players are, because that's when they're going to get together. Uh, it's rumored that with a July 10th start date for the training camp, that means we could start seeing the qualifying round beginning in, in early August. Mm hmm. Which means that the season for next year, they're saying that the start of the season might I think the NHL is being very hopefully optimistic in that they can have the next season kick off with the Winter Classic between the Blues and the Wild with fans in attendance. I think that is the goal uh, with the playoff timeline this year, and that's the goal with the start of the season next year. Right. Well, they're 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 setting up a lot of plans with which are based on optimism because unbeknownst to anybody who's been outside recently, there's still a global pandemic in the world. Uh, yes. This virus does not care about what's happening in the world. It is a virus and it will try to infect as much as it can. Uh, to that extent, um, the NHL apparently is about to, they effectively are agreeing that Las Vegas is going to be one of the hub cities and they're working it out with the Canadian government to have a, in order to have a Canadian hub city to allow players or families, as it were, to be in quote-unquote bubbles so they can do their 14-day uh, quarantine or have some sort of shortened quarantine before they can go forth and you know go to camp, presumably in one of these hub cities. So we're already starting to see the NHL's plans come to fruition. But of course, it's all based on optimism because you know if we start getting big 
waves, and I mean big New Jersey, New York style waves, not like little ones that we're starting to see now. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're starting to see the virus infection rate rise up like it did in New Jersey and New York, then you know you could throw everything out the window again because yeah. that would be a second wave, and that would mean you'd have to stop everything all over again. And um, you never know when a player might test you know positive in one of the bubble environments, what the protocol is going to be for that, and that yeah. applies to any sport that's going on. And there's other issues holding back other sports right now, which is interesting to me because they're very different issues at the moment. And yeah. the NHL is the only one that still looks to be on track to return. But again, nature doesn't really care if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then we'll just wait until it can. Exactly. And to, to that extent, speaking of optimism, other European leagues are starting to plan their start dates for September, meaning they're going to try to start their seasons as normal which is going to create another interesting question of what do you do if you're a drafted player or a draft eligible player? Do you go play in Europe for another year, potentially risk your body to get drafted? Or if you're a junior player like Alexis Lafreniere, who has literally nothing left to prove in juniors anymore after winning CHL player of the year twice in a row, the last, the only guy to have ever done that was Sidney Crosby. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, that guy, that's the type of, when I say Lafreniere is a, head and shoulders above everybody in this draft class. That's, that's your answer as to why, um, you know, he's got nothing left to prove in junior. So does he sign for a contract in Europe and will that contract have an NHL out clause for the season? You know, these are questions as we get more answers to some things, we're going to get more questions for others. And that's good for podcasts like this one, but it's not so good for those who like clarity and security (laughs) and stability in their sport. Yeah. I mean, I think this year has pretty much thrown that all out the window and it's really exposing how, you know, fragile the infrastructure of sports is and how, I guess it's not easy to take it down, but there is not many, there are not many insurance policies in case something does take down a season or, uh, you know, the timing is not really, they didn't plan for something like this and no one really did. So I get why it's happening, but I think any sort of definites, any sort of definitive statements are, they're, they're really very much subject to change. Uh, nothing can be definitive is my point, basically. Yeah, basically, just just imagine a giant TBD next to everything. <laughs> right, and once the dates even roll around, we might see the day of. Teams start to cancel workouts, teams start to change things based on what they see happening around them, but there's nothing we could do except you know, wait for that moment to come and see if they manage to finish these playoffs and finish out this season. Yep. I mean, we we can just cross our fingers and hope for hockey to at least get through and get moving again. And of course, for our favorite hockey team to finally decide on a dang GM <laughs> and a coach and other positions that need to be filled before this draft happens or even the lottery, ideally, which is going to be next. Uh, I'm sorry, not next Friday, the following Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're already soon. almost to the lottery. Oh, so exciting. But yeah, we'll, we'll keep an ear to the ground. Obviously, there's. You know, if you get your Devil's News, wherever you get it from, they should all be talking about the same thing because there's nothing else to talk about. So look out for any names, do the research, and, you know, appreciate the context that it takes to have a coaching change, have a GM change. And, again, things aren't going to light on fire because they hired someone. It might not be someone with a good record, so on and so forth, but you never know what could happen once they actually start doing the job. I I don't think it's a good thing to you know, litigate someone's performance before they actually start on the job. But 
that's something we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, there's choices that people want over others, but that's only because of past success. We never know what could be the winning formula with the devil specifically. Exactly. All right. All that being said, thanks again for listening. That brings us to a close for this episode. We'll be back next week with whatever news we have. And if not, we'll let you guys know if we decide to watch back an old game just to get to the draft lottery itself. So anything else, John? That is it for now. All right. Perfect. As always, thanks for listening. Let's go Devils, and we'll see you next week.